Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. West Side Fairy Tales is a dark fiction and horror podcast. The story you are about to hear is violent and disturbing. Exercise discretion before listening. Previously on Scars in Time. Ash wraps up the story of Jacob Morgan, a story that ends with glittering fishhook fingers beckoning from the shadows. It's a proud accomplishment, but one that might have cost her more than she yet understands to complete. The repairs on her home are going as expected, until an on-site accident fills Ash's house with smoke. She races to save her new manuscript, inhaling smoke all the way, and then collapses outside her home. Ash soon finds, however, that the world she emerged from and the world she's in are not the same. And the differences between the two are absolutely deadly. Without further ado, Scars in Time, Chapter 12 The Hollow Braid. They rolled me around from place to place like an old penny. For my part, I was too beside myself with confusion and exhaustion to make sense of what was going on. Though in the dimmest corners of my thoughts I could hear that incessant, mechanical snapping. The clattering of the typewriter somewhere up there in the high walls of the house. More to me now like a rat eating away at the rafters than anything else. I had slipped into a terrible fugue after the ambulance, probably as much from the stress of this new reality as anything else. I'd read enough books in my life, lost my mind enough to know not to bother railing against it. It was what it was, a tangle of knots either in or outside of my mind, and dealing with that puzzle was the only way forward. In any case, I was too worn out to rail against anything, the smoke inhalation had quite nearly killed me, and aged me what felt like twenty extra years in a single night. 
enough that Mike, god damn him, had bought me one of those steel pole walkers just so I could get to the bathroom. The bathroom was different in this house, I noted. Much the same layout, but somehow everything was crisper and some variation of teal or white. Those same colors seemed to be present everywhere in the house. In small doses, of course. It's not as though flags had been hung up for my benefit, but it was something I picked up on. The colors weren't my particular cup of tea, but I figured the other me, or perhaps even Mike had decided that would be this family's color scheme. Still, too, the master bedroom was different. The warped, liquid feel of the furniture, as though it were growing from the floor, was still there, but subtle. Things could even be moved around here and there. Also, the large bed wasn't the grandiose altar of a thing I'd been sleeping in since we moved here. Large, yes, but clearly just regular furniture I'd bought together with Mike at a retailer. They were all things to think about as I lay in that bed, half delirious with the fever pneumonia had given me. I could barely stand, as I said, but more importantly, I couldn't seem to go anywhere without her finding me. The bright-eyed little blonde girl who looked so much like a younger version of that creature who taunted me in the smoke. She played the doting daughter well enough, it was hard to tell if it was an act. I wasn't a good study of girls her age. She was still in those golden years between six and ten, and it was hard for me to make heads or tails of her behavior. I couldn't get much more than a few feet past the door without her grabbing my hand or the pole of my walker and insisting I get back to bed. And each time I would think something like, Get the fuck away from me, you irritating little shit. But instead I would say something in the ballpark of, Okay, okay, but can you give me something to drink? Then I would turn and wander back into my room, my brain as black and clouded as the smoke that had guttered up from that hole in the basement. And always, 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 the sound of that fucking typewriter smacking away in the walls. Upstairs in the garret, though in all honesty it was so loud and constant now it was more like rain than writing a deluge pouring down on my house down through every floor and ceiling into my face into the soft flesh of my brain Mike I eventually said at dinner the dining room was somehow darker than it should have been so the lights weren't quite working the way they should be perhaps it had something to do with the fire I've been hearing some odd sounds upstairs, in the ceilings and stuff above our bedroom. He stopped eating. We were having soup because apparently only I could cook in this family and canned meals comprised the extent of his abilities and looked up at the ceiling above us. In the dining room, our bed would be almost directly above him. I saw the girl, Coraline, pause as well her brilliant blue eyes glittering down into her bowl. I thought that maybe I could see a tiny smile hidden there behind her spoon. Or maybe it was just my imagination. Rats, probably, he said. Or squirrels, I guess. We only just got this place. He pointed at my untouched bowl of chicken noodle soup. It was the fifth time we'd had it in the week since the smoke incident. Why aren't you eating? What if it's something worse? I asked. Something to do with the fire in the basement? Mike rolled his eyes. That wasn't a fire, he said. Just a, what the fuck did the fire department call it? A smoke event. He shook his head. A smoke event, he added in a sarcastic tone. Then he turned back to me. Some incredibly old wiring burned up and smoked out the house, but they found the line and pulled it, so it's fixed. He took a sullen, loud sip from his bowl. Except for the fucking smell, of course. And you? Almost in response, I coughed, a small throat clearing that bloomed into full-blown hacking that nearly dropped me out of my chair. Jesus, 
Mike said, standing and setting me back upright. He put his hand on the back of my neck and I could feel the honey-sick heat of his palm. Stop fucking coughing so much. And keep yourself in your damn chair, Ash. My lungs froze painfully in place. If it weren't for the anesthetic magic of Mike's hands, I'd have lost consciousness. As it was, I sat up like he told me and went back to eating my soup until my spasming lungs settled. He'd done the same thing to me the first night after the smoke event because he couldn't sleep with all my coughing. Probably what caused the persistent pneumonia in the first place. I was, I said, punctuating the words with a cough and a stiff clearing of my throat. I was wondering if I could go up and check then. Mike looked at me like I was an idiot. Just so I don't have to worry. I hated groveling like this. It was the first time in 30 years I'd asked anybody honest permission to do anything. Begged consent for my own actions. It made me sick. But that wasn't right, was it? I couldn't remember a time when I wouldn't get Mike's permission to do something. Just like that first long night 30 years ago, when I asked him for permission to put my clothes on after he was through with me. I shivered and almost puked at the thoughts. No, the memories invading my brain, the imprints of that other woman, that lesser me, the coward who'd surrendered and made this thing across the table from me. Who was so beaten by him now she could never again pull away from that touch the way I had all those years ago. But that's not necessarily true, is it? An almost unfamiliar voice asked in my head. It didn't speak after that, but followed up its assertion with a barrage of images and feelings. The loss of balance as I kicked back on my bike seat. The feel of Mike's hand on mine all those years ago, just as our diverging momentums flung us apart. In that second, I had wanted that touch to last forever. Thank God for gravity, I thought. But the other voice was silent. The girl, Coraline, was giggling into her bowl of soup. The fuck are you laughing at? Mike asked. Her eyes whipped up to him. For a moment so sharp with rage, they nigh stilled my heart. Then the expression was gone and only the soft, angelic smile remained. You cussed at the dinner table, Daddy, she said. That's real, real bad. Something about her expression caught him off guard and he cleared his throat. She chuckled to herself again, though silently and swirled the spoon around in her bowl. Daddy? She said, eventually. I could go upstairs and check for rats with Mommy. Mike looked at the girl and then cleared his throat again, going so far as to adjust his collar with his thumb. He seemed to be having more trouble breathing for that long second than I had had for the entire day. Eventually, sweating, he nodded without saying anything. Oh, thank you, Daddy, the girl said. She jumped out of her seat and ran to hug him, and for a moment, the thin fabric of that other reality tore slightly. The girl, Coraline, ran around the table, but also remained seated. But the girl in the seat wasn't her. The same age and size, sure, but with the loose mousy brown hair I'd had as a young girl. Her eyes were the same light brown my father's had been, though they were half-lidded and foggy. She was barely there. Mike didn't notice this at all. He hugged the golden girl and laughed, kissing her on the cheek and then going back to his meal as though he'd just gotten some incredible news. Then Coraline sauntered back to her side of the table giving me a wink far beyond her years and squeezing my shoulder as she stepped past me. This other girl, who looked so much like a younger me, winced for just a second as Coraline rejoined her in the seat. They shimmered, a double image, 
and then it was like the other girl had never been there at all. Mike's odd, euphoric expression faded right around then too, and I noticed him looking around the room with a confused, almost paranoid look. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Children, children. Gather around and place your hand in the air. That's right. Fingers splayed wide, wide, wide so the wind can pass between them. Carry that sweet scent of trade on to the nose of the witcher. We are gathered here today in non-existence, awaiting the strike of the pen, the clatter of the keyboard, the moment when I might be introduced to the ears of the masses so that our work can spring forth anew in the hearts of millions. But that we are carried on the wings of angels. Say true, our words must be electrified. Amen. Our words must be clarified. Amen. Our words must be carried wide. Amen. So go out there, little brothers, little sisters, and spread the gospel on social media. Put us on Reddit, put us on the Facebook, and put us on the Twitter, praise her. Share us far and wide, so that I might become and my story made clear. At WS Fairy Tales on Twitter, Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook, and Instagram. The link tree is in the description. Praise her name. Praise her. Mm, praise her, yes. And let us together drive this sin from gun cotton. Mm. Raise your hands now. Raise your hands. Now. 
Now back to our story already in progress. We finished dinner and Mike left me at the table without a word, heading upstairs to his office to handle some late-night phone calls he needed to make. I could hear him idly chatting away soon after, his voice sounding less confident than it did when he was talking to people face to face. With the direction the sound was coming from, I could tell he'd built his office in one of the empty guest bedrooms at the far end of the second-floor hallway. Probably at the very end. Coraline cleared the table while I waited, humming a lyricless tune under her breath. I could hear her clinking the dishes in time to her little song, which I found cute despite myself. And it was despite my own self. That other me either didn't have a say in the matter or was of the same mind enough I couldn't feel that slight separation of consciousness. While the girl worked, the blue in her eyes faded almost completely away, until the irises themselves were the simple brown of that other girl I'd seen at the table. Her hair darkened as well, until all I could see of the blonde or blue seemed more like highlights intensified by some ethereal ghost light. Hey, Mom, she said. Her voice was different, her posture. The unnerving coquettish lilt was gone completely. I might have sighed in relief that she hadn't called me mommy like the other girl had. Yes, I said. Why did you want to go upstairs again? She asked. She ran her hands over her little girl's denim skirt to dry them. It's real creepy up there and I don't like it. The other me moved our shared arm and brought her closer. She almost managed to tell the girl, then we'll just do it some other time. But some part of me, my willpower, I guess, grabbed that simple bitch by her throat and choked the words back down where they came from. Because, I said, coughing. I felt a sliver of almost unimaginable hate for myself, but I ignored it. <coughs> because I've... Got to check on something. Okay, the girl said, slapping her sides. I'm getting bare, though. That's fine, I said. The other me said the words in a way that felt like someone pushing past me in line at the supermarket. I didn't care about bare either way, so long as it got me back into the garret. I knew, beyond simple knowing, that the typewriter was there, waiting for me. That this thin reality I was entangled in was no more substantial than any other net once I had those scissoring metal arms beneath my fingers. The girl started walking out of the room, and then stopped and turned quickly toward me. Do you need help getting up, Mom? She asked. I almost glared at her, but the other me smiled sweetly and shook our head. Both of us said, I'm sick, not dying, kid. The girl smiled and bounded off toward the stairs, now singing a nonsense song about her bear she was clearly making up on the fly. Mostly, the lyrics were about her helping me get upstairs and him helping her to be brave. I felt a flutter in my heart that I'd never experienced before. It's love, you heartless bitch, the other me said. I glowered at her, internally, I suppose, and the both of us hobbled toward the steps on our old lady's walker. We stopped at the girl's room, one door down from Mike's office. I could hear him more clearly now, complaining, whining, really, about some land deal in Montana he felt he deserved more of. Blackwell's dead, he said, whispering so loudly he was halfway to screaming. After all we did for him, we at least deserve a cut. And not just a cut, but an equitable cut. He paused. Fuck the fucking money, Mateo, and 
Fuck your little gang of castoffs and freaks. What I want is the territory owed to me. I would have listened closer, but I heard Mike stand and all but slam the door shut. A second later, the girl's voice called from inside her room. I told her I was coming, probably loud enough for Mike to hear. His voice dipped slightly at least. Her room was the first of the empty, or what I thought of as empty, guest bedrooms on the second floor landing opposite the master bedroom. In my own home, the room was little more than bare wooden floors. The slats were brown and badly spaced both there and here, though in this child's room they were mostly covered over with thick, bright carpets of purple and blue. The teal color that permeated the rest of the house was there in the bedsheets, also in a few items of clothing I saw laying rumpled in an open dresser drawer. Without thinking, I crossed the room and closed the thing. The girl was sitting on her bed. The bear was on her lap where she was making it dance with her hands under its arms. Her face, so oddly like my own, like my father's especially, was only a few inches from the doll. She sang to it in a soft, cartoonish voice that I realized after a moment was supposed to be a duet between her and the bear. Then she hopped down and smiled at me. Ready? She said. I smiled and bent down to her. I smelled her then, not intentionally, but by simple incident of how close she was to me. The scent of her hair, the not unholy, unpleasant musk of a sweaty child, and deeper, something else, sent chills down my spine. Then there was a feeling of emptiness, so profound, so deep. It stole my breath. Mommy? She asked. I hugged her, quickly, not able to stop myself. I'm not entirely sure if I would have, but the other me moved my arms and then I had the girl's face pressed against my shoulder. She nuzzled me with her forehead and then pushed me away, giving me a serious look and then holding Bear, his name and profession, I now understood tighter. Hey, we've got an adventure to do, lady, the girl said. No stalling. I laughed despite myself and the girl bounded off into the hall without another look back. I went to follow her, but a hand wrapped around my wrist. The girl, my ghost, stood behind me. She glowed more than ever now, her flesh and form more like a slick of solid light caught in the dust motes of the room than anything corporeal. Her grin was slim and knife-sharp, curving her pretty lips up past the side of her nose. Let me show you something, she said, yanking my arm until I stumbled to my knees before her. The odd thing was there was no real physical force there, just the idea of motion. It could have been my own legs that dropped me. Perhaps that is exactly what happened. Still holding my wrist, she put her thumb and forefinger on my chin and turned my face. Then she slid her palm up my cheek and buried her fingers in my hair, pulling maybe a dozen strands from my scalp so suddenly I hissed. When she dangled them in front of me, I was surprised to see the familiar white mixed in with the brown. Do you know how rope is made? She asked, twining the strands together with her fingers in a deft, almost confounding pattern of motion. In a second, she had made my hair into twine, amongst which the few strands of white stood out as highlights. It's always like this, she said. Even the best machines start with the same small, winding motions. Her blue eyes glittered as she held the strand up and snapped it three times. She began weaving these threads together as she spoke. The thicker you wind it, the more you obey the pattern, the stronger it gets, she said, pulling the much fatter braid of woven hairs as though to break it. It held. But if you're unsure, doubtful, inconstant, she said in a low voice, twisting the ends of this small rope with her fingers. 
They unfurled, turning the singular rope she'd made back into a curving mix of the smaller strands. Amongst them I saw my white hairs, glittering almost like silver. She pulled her hands apart slowly and those silver strands each snapped, one after another. I shivered. The cord weakens, she said, pulling harder. The brown hairs began to snap, and each one of them sent spasms rolling up my back like lightning storms stroking the prairie. The strands unbind, and the rope snaps. She broke the hairs on cue with that last word, and I felt sweat break out on my forehead. The girl. No. The woman. She was as fully grown now as she ever was tossed the broken strands aside and dug her fingers into the hair on the back of my scalp. She clenched her fingers hard enough to make me bite my lip. Stop. Stalling, she whispered. Then her hand and all the rest of her was gone, the watery light of her existence molding back into the shapes of the house until nothing remained. I stood and shook myself off, looking around the room for a moment longer, It was as though my ghost had stolen some of the light of the place when she'd gone. The bright child's bedroom colors were all faded. I could find water stains and mold even on the corners of the plush rugs set up between the bed and the dresser. The clothes I had seen there now looked not just unwashed, but unworn. Goodwill donation derelicts left to molder uncollected in some back lot. The other me was shivering with fear. Fear for something that I didn't, couldn't, she hissed. Understand. Some threat implied by this now dingy room and my golden ghost's odd demonstration. Though I didn't wholly understand it, much less accept it, the fear still managed to worm its way into my spine. By the time I'd rejoined the girl and bear outside the room, I was shaking. Are you okay, Mom? She asked in almost a whisper. I'm fine, I said. Loudly enough, the girl's eyes went wide. She shook her head and put a finger to her lips. Daddy's working, she all but hissed. Please don't make him mad. I blinked and then looked at Mike's door, feeling my lips curl in disgust. The emotion was startling to the other me, but not unwelcome. In fact, I think she felt a rare sort of kinship with me in that second. Enough so, at least, that I actually recognized her for once. We left our spiritual sisterhood at that, however. I had no interest in getting to know this other me or the life she'd made for herself. The only thing I needed from her was enough cooperation to get to the typewriter so I could slip back into reality. The true reality. Mine. What's so much more real about you than me? She asked me. The direct address was something of a shock. My own internal voice had turned on me in a completely organic way and without my urging. She'd been something of a co-passenger in this until then, and the effect was akin to being slapped in the face by her own hand out of the blue. You're a fucking hallucination I'm having. I told her, some schizophrenic byproduct of smoke inhalation and stress. I'm probably bouncing around in Weston right now at the TAF, doped out of my mind and worrying the shit out of my wife. Your wife? She... Well, she scoffed at me. Wow, what a great story. But I have no fucking idea what's going on in it to you. Maybe it'd be a little easier to understand if I had access to a a written version of the show to follow along with and read back through. Maybe even some, uh, I don't know behind the story information to clear up some of my my fucking questions. Oh, wait. Right there. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it says right there. Join the West Side Fairy Tales Patreon today and get access to behind the story audio programs and fully laid out chapters of this story, Scars in Time, 
and most of the West Side Fairy Tales back catalog for just five measly dollars a month. Wow, what a deal. Oh, it even says here you can get special merch packs and signed posters if you give a, a, a more generous donation. Uh, that means he needs your money, people. This isn't a fucking charity. Okay, go to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales today and subscribe for excellent behind-the-story content and more. That's patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. Link is in the description. And don't forget to watch my show if it's for... Ah, come on! I'm not doing this for free! Now back to our story, already in progress. The girl and bear continued their little Disney sing-along as we made our way into the attic. Even for me, the situation was too insane and far too personal. Her even thinking the word wife blew open the book of my mind, scattering every little memory of my and Darcy's life together. I could feel her, this strange other me, paging through my brain and drinking in my life. The act was horrifically impersonal, even though we were supposedly the same person. But we weren't the same, not even remotely. Our existence had diverged 30 years ago, and in that time had grown very different trees that produced very, very different fruits. I could feel this other me judging my life as she shuffled through my filthiest papers, wading through my indiscretions, pouring over my most embarrassing mistakes and moments with a barely concealed smirk. But the road went both ways. Even as she sat in the corner of my shared mind, chuckling darkly over my memory of publicly pissing myself as a 35-year-old woman, I had been given the wrong meds after a check-in had come down with a horrific and sudden bout of incontinence. I could see her motivations. She simply wanted to hurt me. She was scared of me, and she was too weak of a woman to challenge me directly, so she'd dug into my past to hurt my feelings. So that's all you are? I said to her. It wasn't the words, but the blue cloud of pity I sent them sailing on that silenced her. I imagined her slinking off to a deeper part of our shared mind, arms crossed and eyes burning with tears. I think it had probably been decades since somebody had cut her that deep and that somebody had basically been her. Hey, Mom, are you scared too? The girl said. Her name is Emily. The other me hissed in my mind. Not Coraline? I asked. Who's Coraline? She replied. A little, I said. And it was something that I alone said. The other one had given up all control to go sulk. Why don't you and Bear stay right here and make sure nothing sneaks up behind us, okay? I thought that would reassure the girl, but it seemed to scare her instead. She cast wide eyes around the second floor. Is something going to sneak up behind us? She asked. I hesitated for a second, and the other me snatched control of our voice box the way you snatch a phone from somebody fumbling a takeout order. Not if Bear keeps an eye out, right? The other me said. I felt myself stumbling aside as she reached forward to squeeze her daughter's shoulders. That's right, she said. My daughter. I don't give a shit, I said. Yeah, the little girl said, trying to sound braver than she was. The house around us was clad in shadows, thickened by the heavy moonlight straining in through the windows. It would be enough, I figured, to find my way upstairs to the typewriter. I didn't want to linger in this place a second longer than I needed to, and if I broke my neck coming back down in the dark, at least it would be my neck. That would probably be for the best, honestly, the other me said, quietly. I'll be back down in a second, dear. Okay? She said to her daughter. Then we were heading upstairs. The girl, Emily, 
and bear standing guard in the dark behind us. shirt bro you want a sick fucking shirt bro go to the fucking merch store and check out our new shirt it's a collage of all that pretty hard work Missy Uwe puts together for season 4 fucking beautiful you want to be fucking beautiful don't you then go buy a shirt you want to stay fucking beautiful you better buy two fucking shirts you better buy a fucking mug too and a fucking beanie don't let me find out you aren't wearing the merch. You better go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and buy something. Yeah. Westsidefairytales.com slash merch. See you soon. Now back to our story already in progress. We could hear the steady tapping of the typewriter as we made our way to the garret. I asked her, the other me, if she'd been messing with the typewriter in this reality. Her answer wasn't words, but rather the moving picture memory of coming up to the attic to get away from Mike when he was in a bad mood. The typewriter was already there on the table for her, however, and not in the hidden cubby where I'd found it. That discrepancy launched her into another invasive perusal of my memories, almost like she was logging on to my personal computer and punching random entries into the search bar until she found the folder she wanted. Stop. Stop fucking doing that. I said. She didn't reply. I could feel her reliving the feeling of finding the typewriter, an almost empty replica of the joy, the familiarity with the machine and the desire to write again write more. I noticed something lingering in the shared fabric of our common realities, and quite suddenly I found it. It was her creative urge, same creative urge that I'd known as a child, but calcified and forgotten at the heart of her. Almost deeper than her love for the girl was the need to make something of her own. If she saw that I noticed this about her, she gave no indication. Her attentions to my career as a writer were lustful, voyeuristic. Every success or failure I'd experienced made her so ecstatically jealous I was dizzy from the feeling of it. Then I realized our body, her body, was coughing and leaning against the wall beside the ladder to the garret. You fucking whiner, she said. Her words felt like venom. You can do whatever you want all fucking day. That, that woman supports you, and all you can do is complain about how you don't feel like writing? What is the fucking point of you? I took begrudging control of the body, leaving her to whine at me over the stack of my memories sitting like a book in her hand. She flipped left to right through my entire history, turning her nose up at me. I took a breath, with her body, and paused on the ladder. My life is my life, I said. I can't believe I'm even saying this to you, but this is probably some introspective drug shit I have to deal with before waking up, so here it is. Eat shit. I don't give a fuck about you. You aren't me. You won't ever be me. I have my own problems, and you can run over all the hypotheticals you want to, imagining how you'd deal with them if you were me, but you're not me. And you don't solve my fucking problems. I do. So go write your own fucking book, okay? She glared at me, mentally, I guess, though I could feel the anger like a wave of fire licking too close to my face. Then we were upstairs in the garret, the steady clatter of the typewriter almost deafening in that small space. I used our shared body to shut the trap door and then looked around. I, or 
something like me was sitting in the chair at the desk, steadily banging away on the typewriter. All I could really see were the shapes of her hands and fingers going at the keys and the silhouette of the chair at the top of her head. Everything else was obscured by the neon white of the lantern at the edge of the desk. I raised my hand toward the typewriter, but the other me froze us in place. You think you're better than me, huh? She asked. Because you got rid of Mike? Because you gave up everything to be a drugged-out psycho for half your life and a mediocre writer for the rest of it? I ignored her, trying instead to push our hand forward, willing it to touch the typewriter and work whatever magic would snap me back awake. Around us, the black windows were emulsifying, flowing and clearing until they looked out on a dozen chaotic scenes. All of them were of me. Us. Even more versions of me, all in this exact same moment. All slightly different. Almostly the same. Do you know what it's like living with him? She screamed at me. And the pressure of that was enough to drop us to our knees. I clutched our head and strongly considered smashing our skull in against the garret floor. I don't care. I screamed back at her. You've scraped through every shitty moment my whole fucking life, and you know what? I know you haven't looked at that moment, but I know what you did. You fucking coward. She stiffened. Don't say that to me, she said. Her voice, in our head, was shaky. I know you gave the fuck up. I hissed at her. I know you let him in, let him gut you like a fucking fish. Let him empty you out until nothing of me, of me, was left. Please, she begged. Do you want to see what I did when Mike came for me? I asked. And then the world exploded. We weren't in the garret anymore, but in my childhood bedroom, watching me split Mike's lip with the hardest punch I'd ever thrown in my life. But in that moment, too, I unclenched my fist and let him touch my face. Let him pour that hot, poisoned honey into my skull. I let him obliterate me. She, the other me, was sobbing in our head as he led that past her to the bed. Hundreds of past hers, thousands, millions, billions, all of them overlapping and shivering and shaking until they solidified into a single person. The path I had taken, punching Mike and running for the garage was more chaotic. I missed and he knocked me to the floor. I bit into his neck and tore until his blood covered the carpet. I broke my neck falling down the stairs. He caught the frying pan I threw at him and smashed my skull in with it, falling to the ground and holding my dying body and asking for me to forgive him, demanding I live. Then we were out at the final stop-off where only a few hundred thousand of me were now leaving bloody skid marks on the road as my bike careened down the hill. Sometimes I went off the hill with him, and sometimes I hit the trees and died before he did. But every time we got this far, he died. Crushed. Crumpled. Broken. And in the few hundred times where he didn't just fly off the cliff, and I was still standing... It was always me who pushed him over. Jesus! She screamed, pulling away from me and falling into the corner of the garret. The other me. Ashley. The coward. You fucking murdered him! You killed Mike! Yeah, I said. We are wearing our own clothes again. Me dressed like the degenerate, sometimes writer, who just barely survived a second house fire and her, well, dressed the way Mike liked. That is, me in smoke blackened jeans and a hoodie and her in a cute yellow dress. And I'd do it again, I said. I shook my head, staring at her. I fucking wish you'd done it too. Ashley looked at the writer at the desk and then at me shielding her eyes from the light of the lantern. The black windows had hardened back to simple paint and glass, 
but the space still seemed much too large. She was, I noticed, prettier than me, even though she was older looking. Like she'd taken better care of herself, but didn't benefit from the pseudo-plastic surgery effects of the mass of scar tissue riddling the side of my head. Thinking about that, I ran my hand through my hair and almost sighed with relief when I felt the familiar patchwork beneath my fingers. I even plucked one of the much shorter hairs free and double-checked to make sure it was white. It was. Ashley got to her feet and brushed herself off, glaring at the writer and then at me. The sound of typing had softened to a normal, mechanical din, but the writer hadn't let up a bit. Ashley went to the desk and looked at the woman's, my, her, face, and shivered, stepping back quickly and wiping her palms on her dress. Then she opened the trap door and looked down into the moonlit darkness beneath us. I'm not a coward, she said, softly. There was steel in her eyes when she looked at me, cold and thin as a stiletto. And you weren't brave. You were reckless. Dying for nothing all those times but a few. I was supposed to risk my fucking life? For what? We liked Mike. Don't you remember? She shook her head. Maybe you tell it to yourself different when you think about what you did. So you don't have to feel bad about it, but we liked him. She said. I liked him. And whatever that power is he has, he used it to make a life for me. For my daughter. She touched her chest. I have a daughter. Do you understand that? Do you think anything your path has brought you can replace that? Replace her? What the fuck is wrong with you? I asked. She looked ready to spit in my face. I didn't go rooting around in your head like you did to me. But I don't really need to, to know that Mike's been up to some heinous fucking shit since we were kids. I crossed my arms. But people have to eat, huh? She lowered her eyes and took a breath. I was a 17-year-old girl, she said. Why was Mike my responsibility? What was I supposed to do? I kicked him off a cliff, I said. Her expression softened, but something ugly remained in her eyes that I didn't like, even though she wasn't looking at me. (sighs) I suppose you did, didn't you? She said softly, beginning to lower herself down onto the ladder. When she was up to her waist, she stopped and looked at me. I know you think I'm broken and pathetic, but I'm not. Maybe I'm just like you, back when we were kids. And I'm just waiting for my moment. Then she was gone, the trap door slapping down over her. I sighed with relief. The exchange had been tense, and even though it felt like I won couldn't shake the sense that I'd been in some sort of danger provoking her the way I had. She was me, after all, and I more than anybody knew what I was capable of. Even more distressing was how much talking to her felt like talking to a stranger. She was more like a sibling than a doppelganger, in all honesty, and one that knew all the things about me I didn't want anybody to know. Even the parts I had never possibly would never tell Darcy. I wanted to push the last week in this disconnected reality out of my head. Really, I just wanted to dismiss it outright. But it was all too real. My sense of relativity had completely vanished, which would make sense if I had finally, entirely lost my mind. But I had always imagined that would feel more like a dream series of disconnected experiences, broken wires firing in a vacuum and occasionally linking across the void. This place, this feeling, even the sharing of my, her, head for the duration wasn't like that at all. 
It was disconcerting, sure. Horrifying, even. But generally, the time had been boring. The banalities of life as a sick and often mistreated woman. No great quests, no urge to do repetitive or meaningless tasks. I didn't even have the nagging sense of dread that seemed to have built over me like a cloud when I had turned forty. I closed my eyes and felt the stagnant, slightly sweaty air of the garret against my face. And it was my face. Not Ashley's or any other version of me. That was something I knew intrinsically. That I was me. Sharing headspace with Ashley had felt odd. Wrong, even. Like the right-sized shoe on the wrong foot. It made me wonder if I felt like a rock in that same shoe to her. It was all too insane to keep thinking about. I turned to the writer, capital W, as I'd been thinking of her. This second ghost in my new home who always seemed to be manning the damn typewriter when I wasn't. Even Ashley said she heard the clatter of the keys up here at odd times, but nobody else in the house could. I pushed any more thoughts of that sad woman out of my head and reached past the writer for the typewriter. The sound of the keys stopped for just a second, and the steady light of the lantern dimmed, pulsed, faded. The woman grabbed my arm above the elbow and pulled me close to her face. I could smell something sickly sweet on her breath. Around us, the black painted windows shifted and swirled, lightning to a dull storm cloud gray. This lit the room enough that I could make out the barest details of the writer's face. It was me. Or a version of me, at least. Find the Medusa. Then find the painter, she said. Her voice crunched like glass and gravel. With just those words, I could tell that she was the source of the rotten smell. And don't stop writing. Even if you think it's not working. What? I asked. The swirling windows built momentum, turning into an outright storm. I could almost feel the wind whipping at my face. I could feel the wind, in fact, and the biting cold rain coming along with it. Never stop, she said again, raising her hands and then bringing her fingers down suddenly on the keys. Lightning flashed in time with the keystrokes and I gasped when I saw her face. It was me, but gaunt almost to the point of death. My eyes were black, sunken pits, and most of my hair was thin, long, and held back flat along the skull. Worst of all, I saw, without exception, the source of the putrid smell coming off her. The woman's face was speckled with oily black sores, most of them congregated around her mouth. Dark, dingy streaks lay across pale, almost paper-white skin where she tried to wipe the effluvia away from her lips. Not that it would do much good. Whole, thumb-sized chunks of flesh around her mouth were either fully black and open or outright missing, rotted away completely. But her eyes were sane and sad and direct pleading with me to listen to what she'd said. Then that momentary lightning faded and I was being swept away from the garret, ripped off balance and thrown into the air, tumbling, turning, twisting until I was stumbling over familiar cobblestones. No sooner than I had caught my balance, I lost my breath. The pneumonia I'd somehow forgotten about entirely and the garret had come back in full force, clutching my lungs and wet, rocky hands until I was on my knees in the storm. I coughed until my eyes felt like they were going to pop. When a man's huge hands caught me under my arms and lifted me to my feet, dragging me toward the front porch of my house, I wasn't in a position to resist. The stranger set me against the wall beside the front door like a stack of wet firewood, and I struggled to maintain my balance while he unlocked the door. How does he have my keys? I thought. The door swung open and the man turned to me, smiling behind his filthy glasses. 
The wet doctor's frock hanging off his shoulders had turned gray in the storm. I tried to scream, choked, and collapsed onto the porch. Coming up on Scars in Time. Ash's brief stint in the world of her doppelganger, Ashley Colon, may have ended, but things are only getting more bizarre. Sick, confused, and alone with the doctor from her nightmares, Ash must yet again adapt to a new life in order to survive. And this time, Leaving will be more difficult than she expects. I hope you'll join us next episode for Scars in Time. Chapter 13. The First Patient. And until then, as always, stay safe out there. The West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Original audio filmed on location in Sutton, West Virginia, and Louisville, Kentucky. Engineering and sound design by WSF Productions, LLC. Episode art by Yui Breedlove. All content herein copyright 2021, WSF Productions, LLC. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. 
The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.